HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and it is the season that I have been waiting for so long. Spring is finally upon us full time, and it has been such a brutal winter. So for those of you like me who are at least have a little patch of ground where you can get some plants planted, vegetables, flowers, whatever, or if you have a big patch and a farm like our guests and have lots of vegetables planted, or if you're one of those people who are just haunting the green markets and can't wait for the bounty of the season to arrive, we have got the show for you today. The fabulous Beekman boys are back with me. Josh... um, Kilmer Purcell. I'm sorry, Josh. I always screw up the two <laughs> names. Name. <laughs> Josh Kilmer Purcell and Brent Ridge um, of the the popular Beekman 1802 radio, um, mercantile shop in Sharon Springs, New York, and of course their well-known television series, The Fabulous Beekman Boys, on the Cooking Channel are with me. And welcome. I, how did you take a break from the farm today? Well, Hi. the new cookbook is out, so... Yeah. Uh, we're touring around for that, and we're uh, we love it here in Brooklyn. We feel like hipsters <laughs> just sitting here. We're, we feel like thirty years younger yeah, just that, sitting here. That's why I come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, Brent, you mentioned that the cookbook is out, and and that's what I failed to mention is that you are also the authors of the famous series of the eight, the Beekman eighteen oh two heirloom cooking series, the heirloom cookbook. Then last season you had the heirloom dessert book, and now you have, I think. My favorite of all, if I have to pick one, is the Heirloom Vegetable Cookbook. It is a beautiful cookbook with, once again, with your collaborator, Sandy Gluck, and the photos by Paulette Tavermina, which I have are just 
outstanding. Uh, I congratulate you. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we want to make sure when we do a cookbook that it's heirloom quality. You know, not to, not just the recipes will last forever, use them forever, but we want to make sure the book itself is beautiful and something that you're going to take off the shelf and enjoy you know, Wait, for which years is to come. Sort of a little theme. I didn't want to say gimmick because yeah. it's, a, but um, <laughs> it's a something gimmick. something you've put in each of your books, and that's a place for people to take notes after each recipe. Right? Exactly, because you know, if you are at a rummage sale and you're looking through a box of books. The one that you're most attracted to is the one with handwriting in it. Right. And uh, so we really well, that's, wanted to Well, that's proof of concept. I think uh, when you see a cookbook with a lot of writing in it, that means it was used. That means the recipes are good. Um, you know, and it means somebody loved it. And I, th- I think that's what makes – that's how you know it, it's a good cookbook. Right. And we right. want the books to be heirlooms in your family and, you know, so that when someone passes it down to the next generation and they open it up, they're going to see your handwriting in that book. And it just makes it special in your family. It's kind of a – becomes a little scrapbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now you, you have billed this book as um, 100 Delicious Heritage Recipes and um, from the farm and garden. And yet I was reading through, and you did to some of your mm-hmm. own takes on things, so they're not exactly right. you know, old-style recipes that, you know. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a history book, you know. Um, as much as we, we love, you know, the history of food and the history of different recipes, um, it's it's we call it heirloom or heritage. It's something that we – it's a recipe that you make over and over again. The recipes that we made over and over again ourselves, they come from our, our families, but we've updated them. We've put twists on them. Because we think recipes are living things. Mm-hmm. You know, they can live a long, a long life, you know, for years and years and years and generations. But they, you know, they can change along they the way and should time. change. And they evolve, right? Evolve mm-hmm. over time, Brent. Um, well, what a little bit of history about the two of you, which I don't know if people, if they haven't seen your show or if they haven't read a lot about you on your website. Because you have a beautiful website, too, which Thank has you. just won an award for a lifestyle Right. Beekman1802.com. There you go. And you can read all about the boys. Uh, but... You didn't. You weren't on this direct trajectory to farming and, and t- well, maybe TV, but yeah. but farming and and these and these very popular books. I mean, Brent, you were a physician. Oh, you are a physician. That was I mean, my you first were career. Right, practicing my physician. First career. Right, and Josh, and you were a writer in, in advertising, and both on successful other careers, and then just had it with City Life, right? Well, City Good. Life kind of had it with us, yeah, <laughs> because we uh, we had originally we both grew up in the country. Uh, I grew up in rural North Carolina, and Josh grew up in uh, rural Wisconsin, and so we both had gardening um, in our backgrounds, and. Um, you know, we made our way to New York City and kind of had our careers here. And we say that our first farm was actually on the rooftop of our Upper East Side apartment building because that's where we really started growing vegetables again, oh. uh, heirloom tomatoes. See, we were hipster before there was even Brooklyn. That's, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, we bought this place in upstate New York in Sharon Springs, New York, that we thought was going to be our weekend getaway and, and you know, and eventually a retirement, you know, place. And um, we purchased that in 2007, uh, you know, had cashed in everything that we had ever saved, you know, to buy this, uh, this place. And then in 2008, when the economy crashed, we both lost our jobs in the city. Within 30 days of each other. Wow. We went from two great paychecks to none. We had a huge mortgage on the farm. We had a mortgage in the city. And we were like, how are we going to pay for this farm? And we said, we're going to have to start farming. So we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and you know, started the farm and uh, took in a, a farmer who was losing his farm. And uh, he brought his goats with him 
Farmer John. And I uh, love those goats. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. Goats, yeah. And um, and that's really how it all started. Yeah. Well, speaking of boots, you pulled yourself up from the bootstraps, and now you have your own line of boots. I see. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we will have to take a picture of those and post those on our website. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I think I think anybody that knows our story knows that we we approach farming in a in a very different way. You know, we started with our goats. We started with goat milk soap, goat milk cheese, but then we started approaching neighbors and other farms around us in upstate New York. Uh, that were struggling, like many small farms. And we started working with them, realizing... So they were teaching us how to farm and how to survive in in a small community, and we were teaching them how to market. And we were using our skills from this that we'd learned in the city to help them that country sell their bartering products. Style. It really is, right, you yeah. know. And and people may not think of marketing as a, you know, as a, a very valuable bartering skill, but, but these people were making great products, uh, there were weavers and blacksmiths and other farmers that were making these wonderful things, but they weren't able to sell them and distribute them. And and so that's how Beekman 1802 was born. It wasn't just our farm and our products. It was a collective of everyone in our region mm-hmm. making things. And we, we branded them, and, and we called up our friends in New York City and helped sell them. And that was the name of the house the, that you bought, the property you bought was the right. Beekman. Yeah, it was yes. originally built by a gentleman named William Beekman in the year 1802. It is beautiful property. I have to say I have been there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and uh, – what I was, what I wanted to mention to people, they may who might know you from your television show. You know, some people do, and some people mm-hmm. don't. They yes. don't get all those yeah. channels. But it, the show, your show chronicles your life on the farm. You mm-hmm. know, all mm-hmm. the, the foibles and the fights and the fun and the, you know, yeah. What, but what people don't know is that you take this very seriously, the farming. And, oh, yes. And that doesn't make for good. People don't want to see sweat and toil. They <laughs> want to see fun and fantasy, yes. you know. But I, I know that you take it very seriously, and it is a very serious farm. And and Brent, you told me right before the show that this book is filled. Um, you'll have to realize, everyone, when you see it, and I did post a picture of it on the website, on, our, on Facebook, I think. Yeah. And... The pictures there are each season is prefaced by this spread of gorgeous vegetables, each individually kind of set out on a white table. And Brent, you gave me the information. Yes, all the vegetables that we used in the book were from our farm. Um, we raise uh, about eighty percent of all the food that we personally consume on the farm. That includes the meat and uh, and the vegetables. We don't raise any grains, so that's the the twenty percent we do like a lot yeah. of bread and pasta. Um, but um, but I'm sure it's local. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when we can. And um, you know, for us, uh, you know, this idea of, of growing your own thing and appreciating particularly heirloom varieties um, is just really important to us. And we think it makes you know our dishes incredible. And that's a, really how a lot of the recipes come about. You know, we kind of take those. Uh, those um, those ideas and those techniques that we learned growing up from our grandmothers and mothers, and then as things are coming in fresh on the farm and we're harvest- harvesting them, you know, you always get to that period where you're like, huh, I've got all these zucchini. What am I going to do with zucchini? Or, or tomatoes are coming out of my ears. What am I going to do with all the tomatoes? And that's really how our recipes come about is that we, um, you know, we'll go out to the, we, we cook dinner every single night that we're at home, and we'll go out to the garden and say, oh, what, you know, what needs to be harvested? And then we we come back in with it and we're like, okay, what can we do with it? And that's really how the recipes come about and how we modernize kind of the recipes that we grew up well, with. Well, and, and this book, like all of our other books you mentioned earlier, is separated by spring, summer, winter, and, and fall. You know, it's all uh, – the book itself is separated that way. Um, and it comes in particularly handy with the vegetables because right. this is the time of year that you're going to the farmer's market, that you're getting your, your big CSA box and you open it up and there's, you know, seven pounds of chard. 
<laughs> what can you do? Exactly. What, oh, chart again tonight. Huh? And that, and that, <laughs> exactly. And that was sort of our, you know, doing our cookbooks. As we said earlier, we want them to be used. And so I think that some of the hardest, one of the hardest thing about using a cookbook is a starting point. You know, you, you, a lot of us have beautiful cookbooks at home and we flip through them and there's just, you know, well, there's breakfast and appetizers and, but, and, and main courses, but I need a, a better starting point. I need like, it's summer. Here's what I got. Here's what I want to make. You know, it's funny. I was, I, that's exactly the reaction I had mm-hmm. to the book as I was leafing through it. I, you know, looked at and, and marked some recipes I wanted to talk about. And, and then on the way here, I was just leafing through it, you know, in general purpose. I said, wow, I could, I could actually cook from this book every night of the week with a no-brainer i mean i would just go page by page by page because you take me right through the seasons and it's and they're really um scrumptious looking that looking food i'm sure they taste yeah (laughs) we really wanted you know people to actually be able to take this book with them to the farmer's market and whenever something was most bountiful and you know when something is most bountiful that's when it's the cheapest in the season right so you know to take the book with them and say oh look there's uh uh, the leek are in you know what what can you make with leek or the sweet peas are in what can you make the sweet peas um that's really how we wanted people to use it to actually take it with them to the market and then look in the index and say oh sweet peas i'm gonna make this recipe well and you did include a a Small section, but you you did you know give a, a section to, to pickling, which is oh, yes. so huge. To yes, me, you know. yes, fermentation, pickling, pickling, yeah. and horseradish. And horseradish. We have three types of horseradish. In the don't book. even talk to me about horseradish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, horseradish is something you don't plant, but it's you true. harvest it like crazy. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> well, pickling. Okay, so pickling and, and preserving is such a hot topic now, and and there, I mean, there are books that are four inches thick about it, and, and right. we've been asked to write books, and and honestly, I. I th- people are so interested in it, but I think they're getting intimidated by it because because there seem to be so many procedural things you need to do. Here's how – if you want to pickle something, I, here's how you start. You get a jar. You fill it half with vinegar, half with water. Throw in some herbs and throw in some vegetables. Put it in your fridge. Make a refrigerator. And you're, and you're making pickles. Refrigerator pickle. Right. And, um, and, that's, and that's how I think it's a great way for a lot of people yeah. to start. I mean unless you live you – know, like unless you have right. so much produce that you have to put up – Jars and jars and jars of it. I mean, that has to stay right, you know, down right. down in the basement or something. This is it is true. You did just, a lot of really nice quick pickle. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it just as rewarding. Yeah. Do you keep a root cellar? We do we have do. the house's original root cellar. Uh, yeah, and so uh, we can a lot. And uh, and as I said, we you know we raise or grow about eighty percent of the food that we personally consume. So we really eat all winter on what we put up. And you know we have big you know bushel barrels of potatoes down there, and onions and garlic. And our and, garlic it was so cold this year. Even the basement was cold. Our garlic lasted all year. Yeah, great. So yeah, we put apples down there. I mean we. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and you want to know something? One bad apple really does. It does, it does yeah. Bunch. But then you know what you do? You leave it alone and let it ferment. Ferment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have some good apple juice. Exactly. <laughs> um, what I, are there any vegetables that you grow um, or have grown? You talk about heirloom vegetables, and you have wonder, the wonderful old uh, Landreth seed packets as, as pictures, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I know them well. I have some of their pictures, too. Yeah. And they're just, it's, there's so much history there of the old seed companies um but are there any vegetables that you have grown that sort of that you've brought back that maybe have disappeared from the american table well um i think i mean there are things that aren't very common like um or people have heard of but never tried like rutabaga rutabaga right Uh, i think kohlrabi you mentioned something about kohlrabi Kohlrabi. Yeah. yeah 
and uh, people don't know what to do with it. Salary, right. yeah, salary right. root. Right. You know, um, there are just things that aren't very common, but they're so delicious. Um, and we, we try to have even recipes for those things because you, you know, even if you're not the farmer's market, most, you know, bigger grocery stores now will have a few of all of those things right. and people pass them by because they don't know how to use them. Um, and this is what I say, whenever you meet a, an unfamiliar vegetable on the street, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, don't cross the street. Uh, no, you should, uh, anything can be roasted. You know, people always ask like, oh, I saw turnips. I saw rutabags. I saw this. Yeah, I don't know what to do it. Anything can be roasted. Toss it in olive oil. Put it on a baking sheet. Put it in a 400-degree oven until it's soft. And, and then try it. There you go. And, you or know. grilled. So coming yeah. up in summer months, yeah. uh, things are – I mean, mm-hmm. you can grill, you know, endive. You can grill fennel. You can, I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. amazing things to throw on the grill. And Brent and I love to keep – you know, we, when you make salad dressing, there's always a little bit left over in the jar or whatever. We just keep all that in the fridge. And then after you roast your vegetables, just toss your vegetables in it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing. Great idea. That's yeah. terrific. Well, you know what? We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the specific recipes that you've included in this book. So sure. stay tuned. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will, too. And I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. We are back, and I'm talking with Josh and Brent, the fabulous Beekman boys, who have just come out with a new book in their series of heirloom cookbooks, and it's the Heirloom Vegetable Cookbook. So we are going to talk about some of these specific recipes, um, and you asked me if I had some favorites, and oh, I mean, I, everything's a favorite. I mean, it, it all looks so good. Um, one one thing that you had, and I was looking at the season, since nothing's really in season yet except the baby lettuces mm-hmm. and some radishes mm-hmm. popping through. Um, looking at some that we can kind of get from any time, but you make the you have this recipe for corn cake stacks. Oh, that looks delicious! And this is probably uh, the book has been out now for two weeks, and that's probably one of the recipes that people have tried first. Hmm. Um, it's really easy to make. It's corn and and red pepper, and you make these delicious um, cakes in the skillet, and then you put cheddar cheese in between them and bake them, and it's just so and it's good. actually it's a egg white uh, beaten egg white base. There's there's 
I hate to say gluten free because you know <laughs> I'm tired of it too. But but it actually is coincidentally gluten free. Right. <laughs> so it's just cornmeal and be- beaten egg whites. So um, it's a really lovely light cake. And they're like, like little pancakes or exactly. And they just they're they and they're great. We and stack you can them even up use them. I, you can even use them to kind of make a, a BLT. So you make two of the the, um, the cakes the cake and then of the yeah, bread. yeah exactly yeah. and it's oh, so delicious smart yeah well I also I, I forgot to mention one of the other things is the salt crusted baked mm-hmm. potatoes yes oh boy that that called out to me well this idea, yeah. this idea came to us because of the salt potatoes which uh, was a very kind of historic. Um, thing from upstate New York. Have you ever had the salt potatoes? Yes. Um, and that's. But, but you can. But please explain. Sure. So the salt potatoes came from. A lot of people don't know that a lot of salt was mined in upstate New York. And for many, many years uh, at, in the early part of the 1900s, most of America's salt came from upstate New York. And so there were immigrants, you know, a lot of them Irish immigrants who were working uh, in the salt mines. And you had to uh, get water really hot when you were mining the salt. And so what they would do is, you know, because you're evaporating the water and, you know, collecting the salt that way. And so the Irish immigrants would bring potatoes and put it into the hot water to boil for their lunch. And so by the time lunch came around, the potatoes would be perfectly uh, cooked and they had a salty taste because they were boiling them in salt water. And so that became a big thing in upstate New York, the salt potatoes. And you can actually go to lots of um, restaurants or fairs in upstate New York and they'll give you like a brown paper bag with salt potato, boiled salt potatoes. Really delicious. That's great. Um, let me see what else. Oh, vegetables. We're talking vegetables. The a way to sneak some vegetables into your child's meal, and what kid doesn't like macaroni and cheese? You've got this great mac and cheese recipe. Yes, and we have a few sneaky vegetable recipes. <laughs> one of, one of which is the the mac and cheese, and, and it's got squash and carrots and onions, and 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 uh, my favorite is the topping. The uh, it has the the bacon popcorn, popcorn topping. Popcorn topping. I would just the bacon popcorn. You can just give me on the <laughs> just, side. Just, I'll eat. I'll eat that. Straight. Eat right. Well, the bacon popcorn recipe um, was really you know because we we wanted this book to be for people who love vegetables and for people who didn't love vegetables. So how could you introduce people into vegetables? And so, you know, in any book you want to have something that's just fun and and witty. And so we came up with this idea for bacon popcorn. Wait, is bacon a vegetable? <laughs> yeah, in my no, book, the corn it is. kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, so for the bacon popcorn, it's so easy to make. What you do is you um, get a really great bacon, uh, and you fry it up really crispy, and then you take the renderings and you use the renderings to make your popcorn, mm-hmm. and then you crumble the extra crispy bacon into the popcorn when you eat it, and it's so good. And and in, for this particular mac and cheese recipe, what we did instead of breadcrumbs to give it the little crunch, we sprinkle the popcorn over the top of the macaroni and That's cheese. That's such a great idea. That's we also have a great breakfast muffin in there. It's a, a cheddar vegetable muffin that uses, again, sneak some summer squash into the muffins, which is great when you have kids yeah. just to get a little extra fiber, a little extra vitamins in. Right, right. Although, and, you know, I think more and more kids are, are appreciating the vegetables that's if, they, if they get the fresh ones. That's yeah. true. My yeah. favorite story is that we have a, we had a kid come up to the farm with with uh, his mom. He was probably three or four years old. and. I was. We were going through the garden. I was giving him carrots and things right out of the ground, washing them off, and and he had hands full of vegetables, and he just putting them as fast as he could in his mouth. And his mom said, "I've never seen him this way with vegetables before." And the kid looked up at her and said, "These are vegetables." <laughs> just with fear and terror in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Fresh, they taste so much better. Well, there. It's. I mean, it's. It's no lie that, of course. Some people just don't like certain vegetables. You know, yes. there, some people just don't have a taste for them. Now, one that was an issue with the two of you happened to be eggplant. Yes. yes. Eggplant is not my favorite. Yes, uh, we argue about that a lot. 
because Josh likes eggplant and I've just never had an affinity for it. But we came up with a way for this book to make them so that I do, I can tolerate it. (laughs) Uh, And these are uh, meatless eggplant I don't know if you can even call them meatballs. Meatballs. You have to put put it in quotation marks. Eggplant meatless balls. (laughs) But they have a lot of Parmesan in it, which makes it very palatable to you. And you can use them, you know, if you're making pasta sauce, you can use them just in your pot like you're making spaghetti and meatballs. Eggplants, like summer squash, like any of those soft vegetables, you know, they just soak up whatever sauce. Well, that's just I was going to say. It's a good sponge. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a really good sponge. Um, One that I noticed that I wanted that... Is something I definitely want to try for a dinner party because it looks yeah. so beautiful, and that is the arugula sorbet. And I have to say, you you do wonderful <laughs> the jello head- salad. Yeah. Oh, the jello salad. Yeah. Um, you give wonderful head notes that give a little background on a lot of these, mm-hmm. and surprising to a lot of people. In fact, it was not well. It was sort of surprising to me because I was in Italy for so many years before right. I, I came here and, and was used to arugula. When I came back, there it was, right, and hadn't seen it before. So, give me the story about arugula. Well, I mean, it, re- it really wasn't popular in the United States until the 70s. And, it, you know, around the world, it's called Rocket. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, and, and... It wasn't even really cultivated. And people didn't, no, it was a know, wild, you know, yeah. wild thing. And there's still... Wild we, arugula, if you can find it, is still is more amazing than regular arugula. Um, but this recipe... And we really have the hippies to thank for arugula. Oh, and yeah, no, the, yeah. and the Italian immigrants. Oh, that's true. Yes. Because my, my daughter told that's me a story true. just the other day when she, I showed her that picture. She said... You know, one of the funny memories I have of um, living in the suburbs, as we did at the time, she said, even there, you know, you drive up along the Taconic or something, and, and there were green hills on the sides yes. of the roads. She said, all the Italian ladies would come out in the spring, and they'd be picking. And then they, she, she found out that they were, you know, picking yeah, doing arugula. arugula. Right. Yeah. Well, in this particular and recipe, this tea, oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, this teacup jello salad. Um, this this was, you know, we got the eggplant in, you know, I got that in, and, and this was my, the other one I, I fought for because I don't have a lot of air, recipes in, in the books, heirloom recipes, because uh, my family's from the Midwest, Brent's is from the South, so the Southern cu- culture has much more cuisine background now, than mine. wait a minute, I'm from the Midwest, so we'll talk about Midwest cuisine on another I show. I know, well, <laughs> let's say I had to fight to get more Midwestern dishes in there, but as we know, Jello is one of the staples of Midwestern yes. cuisine, but it's very hard to get a Jello recipe in a cookbook, you know. And uh, so we created this uh, teacup arugula jello salad. And you know, it sounds terrible. That would probably never be sold or never be served in Wisconsin, but it sounds terrible. And so that's actually one of the reasons we wanted to take such a beautiful picture of it for the book because we wanted to entice people to actually make this recipe because you, you know, you made the the mistake when you were introducing it to say sorbet. Sorbet, right. Because it does, um, you can actually use it as a sorbet, as a palate cleanser. That's what I was thinking of doing, serving it between courses as a a little salad. Has a or great cleanser. ricotta cheese, a little bit of lime, the jello, and, and it is arugula. So refreshing. It's wonderful. It's yeah. a really great yeah. dish. Of course, I like savory desserts too. It would be a fun right. for yes. dessert for me. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that was a lot of fun for you to work on that was one of your favorites or, or a couple of them? Or... Oh, what do we have? Josh, I see you leafing through the book. I what know. To talk yeah, about? nothing really makes it in there that's not our oh, favorite. Oh, the, uh, the, the rhubarb chicken. Um, that's one of my favorites. So there's the, the masala chicken with rhubarb, which has a lot of uh, Indian spices in it. Because um, rhubarb on the farm, we celebrate rhubarb. I mean, I could have a ceremony when rhubarb comes up. Because after the long winter, that's the very first green thing right. we see. Right. And so, you know, and, and, there, and rhubarb isn't used a lot culinarily. 
uh, other no, outside I mean, people, of desserts. You no, know, they write, they make a rhubarb pie, but then they throw strawberries in with mm-hmm. it. So exactly, not, you know, so you don't even get to appreciate rhubarb, it. Yeah. So I was I was determined to put it in a in a main dish. So we we created this rhubarb uh, masala chicken that uses garam masala spices and uh, other Indian. And um, it's tremendous. You know, that's one thing that I, I thought was interesting. There are a lot of veg- uh, vegetable cookbooks that have come out on the market in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, beautiful ones, too. Deborah Madison mm-hmm. and, and uh, Rose, uh, Martha Rose Schulman. And they're fabulous cookbooks. They are strictly vegetarian vegetable yes. cookbooks. Um, and uh, this cookbook does incorporate a few meat dishes. That's right. Well, you know, I, I would say probably 80%, not, not 80%, okay. uh, maybe 85% of them are, are purely vegetable, uh, but we're not vegetarian. Uh, we're omnivores. And, um, and so we wanted to create a book for both people. So, um, and just really create recipes that push the vegetable forward in the recipe, even mm-hmm. if it included meat and really helped that vegetable shine. Right. Well, you know, there's a wonderful, um, I guess philosophy that a few people have adopted, and that's let's move the meat from the center of the plate to the to side, the sides, right, yeah. and push the vegetables in the center. And I think that's a wonderful. Oh, I, I always love. Um, who? Oh gosh, I'm committing yeah. a sin. Uh, Moosewood Cookbook. Yeah, she was on my show. I was. Uh, uh, it'll, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm talking about this terrible. Yes. I can, but anyway, she Molly Katz. Yes, thank Molly, you so much. Yes. But she always says. Um, Small V vegetarianism, vegetarianism, yeah. not not capital V. It's not right. a religion. It can be, you know, you can incorporate it. You, know, you don't have to look at it like, oh, I'm becoming vegetarian. I'm never eating meat again. Just incorporate more vegetables in. And that's, that's right. kind of what we've that's done. Right. Well, you also include some dessert recipes, mm-hmm. which is yes. kind of cool. Um, the one in particular that I love is the corn chess pie. I mean, who doesn't yes. love chess? Those who don't know about chess pie, because not everybody does. I mean, right. it's basically just a sugar pie. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, well, and people don't realize how much sugar is in corn. I mean, sweet corn has a lot of sugar. Right. So you think, oh, what corn in a dessert? But it actually makes a really delicious pie. And then the, the other thing that's in the book, uh, is the beet chocolate cake. Mm. And if you've never used beet sugar um, before, when you put it, particularly in the chocolate cake, it makes the chocolate taste um, so like much earthy and spiciness. And earthy. It's, yeah. it's, it's a really complex flavor. And then we, we show you how to make candied beets to go on the top of it. It's, it and it just turns I love, really I love beautiful. That. Actually, yeah. I love that little tip there, too. And yeah. you do give a lot of interesting tips. I mean, it's just, it's packed with, uh, you know, with, Useful information, but when you said um, uh, about oh pushing the vegetables forward, you know it's it's true. Most everyone knows what to do with meat. Yeah, you can have some new right. recipes like the the rhubarb chicken sounds fantastic. Yeah, but everyone knows. Okay, you can roast a chicken, or yeah, you can mm-hmm. fry it, or you can broil it. But vegetables, people are often at a loss. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, called so many so many times growing up, the only exposure you have to the vegetable is something that's been really boiled. You know, like you were at you were at your school and your lunch was, you know, boiled broccoli, you right. know, or something like that. So people never really learn how to work with vegetables. Well, and that's that's where, you know, we talked earlier about roasting the vegetables and how that that is. Uh, anybody can roast a vegetable and do something. And I also we do on weeknights, we do sort of the phased ro- roasting approach where uh, if you experiment a little, you know, some some vegetables take a long time to roast. Some don't take so long. So we just use the same tray. You throw just carrots or it. things. Yeah, you throw the softer ones on later. You know, you yeah. roast the hard ones for five minutes, pull it out, add some softer ones, and, you know, pull it all together with a salad dressing or some sort of tapenade. Yeah. And it's it's delicious. That's true. Well, it makes me very hungry to look at these beautiful pictures. <laughs> Thank so you. Which, uh, they, um, they're... It, 
you have really done a lot of work, I have to say. So, you know, between the farming and the television shows and, and the writing, of course, you have a wonderful collaborator, too, which doesn't, doesn't she hurt. We have a amazing. great team of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say, you know, the inspiration for this particular book, and you talk about the work of Paulette Tavermina, our photographer, you know, who we've worked with for all three cookbooks. Um, her style of photography um, in the first two books was really dark and moody and kind of provocative, I like to say. And so for the vegetable book, we, um, we really wanted to, um, to mimic uh, vintage seed catalogs and seed packages. And so I went to Paulette and I said, okay, Paulette, you're really going to have to step outside of your comfort zone because this book is all about color and saturation and, um, and selling the vegetables that so, way. Yeah, that's right. You've got to make, make them look good. And what was really fun was that there's this great museum in Pennsylvania, the Landis Valley uh, Farmers Museum, and there's a historian there, Dr. Uh, Erwin Richman, and he has the world's largest collection of uh, seed catalogs and seed packets, and you can go and see some of them. And so I went and spent a day with him and went through his entire archive, and mm. uh, all of the uh, vintage drawings that are used in the book are uh, part of his collection. And um, it's just so inspiring to to see that beautiful art and, and to hear him talk about the marketing of vegetables and how the seed catalogs really started almost every kind of marketing trick or gimmick that you see and use today the seed catalog started you know like in terms of you know blowing things up really big to make them look more voluptuous and uh like taglines and and gimmicks like mortgage lifter you know yes, that became right. you know famous uh, tomato exactly right. yeah. so you know all of those things started uh with with seed and vegetable marketing and they would they'd send them out i mean they would they send went them to, out to everyone every yes. household lander seed um, uh, in the 1800s sent a catalog to every house in America. Wow. They, they were like the yellow pages of their day. Huh. And <laughs> Actually, we don't even have yellow pages anymore. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> what do we have now? <laughs> I don't know, Finder? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> well, Josh, you, you, you Oh, yes, I came to my favorite page, uh, it, uh, the rutabaga with the Guinness uh, glaze. Yes. Yeah. And I was going to say, that's another great way. Anybody that doesn't know what to do with vegetable, again, put it on a baking sheet. Throw a little brown sugar on it, or, or with your salt and things, and and a, a bottle of Guinness, wow. and just and just roast it away in, in the Guinness. And when the Guinness is just about gone, you don't want to over. I said, over when the Guinness, it. doesn't it doesn't it, it crystallizing and burn on the bottom? It, it thickens up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes a syrup. A yeah. lot of times, if you you know if you learn to dice it the right way, about a one inch for a hard vegetable, about a one inch chop. Um, okay. By the time yeah, by the time the uh, Guinness is evaporated enough to create a syrup, the the a vegetable is done too, and you just toss it. Oh, terrific! I'm definitely going to try yeah. that. Oh, can and, I get back to the seed catalogs for one second? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love seed catalogs, but one of the fun things that we did in this book is throughout it, we, um, when I was going through the old seed catalogs, I would look at little bits and pieces of information that the seed catalogs used to sell the thing, and so those became the tidbits that are scattered throughout the book. Uh, and so, with each recipe, there's some little tidbit about that vegetable that's meant to be a conversation starter. So, if you're putting that vegetable maybe on your table for the first time, you can say, "Did you know that this vegetable yeah, was sound exactly. like an expert?" Right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Little that's conversation good. starters. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because in rutabaga, especially, I mean, you look at the rutabaga, half the people. People don't even know what it is. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. And then right. if if you learn to recognize it, you have no idea what to do. That's with right. It, you know, but, Same yeah. thing with kohlrabi. kohlrabi like when you see right. kohlrabi, you're like, that is from outer space. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and both of them are good raw. Too. Yes, <laughs> very <are>. good. Delicious. <laughs> well, there is so much to learn from this book. And, and again, if you 
love looking at these old seed uh, packet pictures. And you also give the list of some good seeds, like the seed savers, the Hudson Valley um, library. seed library. Yes. And you give sources for very good seeds, too. And it's not too late. Those no, no, we've got a lot in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And then come the, you and know. And fall planting. Fall planting, right. There yeah. are so many good sources for good heirloom seeds and organic seeds. And uh, this book just does it all. It well, gives it all, thank as well as a, a fun coffee table picture book as well. It is. Yes. Even yeah. if, you, if you're not a cook, you would like to read this book and just look at this book. It's it uh, it has that quality to it. So if you're stumped, as you say, if, if you said, okay, I'm going to do the right thing, I'll join a CSA, and you and you end up with a box of kohlrabi and rutabaga, don't fret, <laughs> you'll know what to do. Right? <laughs> Josh go. Kilmer Purcell and Brent Ridge, thank you so much for joining me once again. The fabulous Beekman boys. The book is the Beekman 1802 Heirloom Vegetable Book, and of course you can catch them on television and on their website, Beekman 1802. Thanks for listening. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.